welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we're going to be talking about mending. Sweet. (laughs) I have so many things in my mending pile that I have not gotten to, and they haunt me. I just did a little bit of mending on some, I'm going to call them ready-to-wear items, Mm -hmm. clothing items that I did not make myself, and I love it except I kind of messed it up. So let's talk about it. Perfect. So maybe we should start with why you would need to mend something, like what mending is and why you need to do it. Right. So mending can take a couple of different forms. The kind of mending that you're going to do might change based on specifically like what has happened to your garment. And we are mostly going to be talking about mending your hand knits today. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these techniques will cross over and work on different sorts of textiles, so like woven fabric too, but our goal is helping you prolong the life of your hand knits, obviously. So what are some reasons you might need to do repairs to your hand knit items? I feel like we need some kind of like horror score music before I say this next thing. moth damage. Ah! <laughs> ah! I'm holding my face like a scream queen. Like yeah. moth damage is everyone's <laughs> nightmare if you are a person who knits with animal fiber. Right. So bad. It's so bad and so scary. <laughs> so if you get a moth in your hand knit and it has a little snack out of your yarn that you made your sweater or your hat or whatever out of, you're going to end up with a hole. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you see this after a hand knit has been put away in a closet or a drawer for the winter or the summer season, the winter season, (laughs) for the summer season. You know, you've tucked this away. You haven't thought about it in a while. And when it comes back out, there's damage. So those holes are going to need to be repaired. And we'll talk about how. Similar to that, other ways that you might encounter holes in your hand knits are from wear and tear. Yes. And I think mostly people think about that with socks. Yes. Like you have worn holes in your socks, but it happens in other hand knits too. Like you might have a beloved sweater that you have worn holes in the elbows from constant wear, or maybe you have a bag or a fashionable fanny pack that you wear all the time (laughs) and it's given you like a thin spot on your hip somewhere where there's constant contact there. Or somehow you're brutal to the armpits of your sweaters. Like, I periodically end up with a hole in the armpit of my sweater. I don't know how that happens, but it's (laughs) definitely a repair that I've made before. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can repeatedly strain, like, a particular section of your garment. Mm -hmm. Or stains. Oof. That's rough. Because usually when there is a stain, people know exactly what it is. They're like, oh, I was eating blueberry pie. And now I have to wear the blueberry pie till the end of time. And often that is the one that people have that like regret feeling about. They regret whatever action caused the stain. If you haven't had success washing it out, you can mend over it. And in that way, not have to look at it anymore. Can I take you on a little trip down memory lane uh, into my childhood? (laughs) So when I was a kid, we would go to my grandmother's house 
And I can remember one of my favorite things to do there was to sit downstairs in her rec room and read her copies of Good Housekeeping. And there was an advice column. Uh And I think it was like, ask Heloise or something. And this woman's like picture was there and she had this amazing silver hair and she looked very smart. And I frequently thought, I bet she has interesting things to talk about that are not house cleaning things. But my favorite answers that Heloise did was how to get stains out of things. It was fascinating (laughs) to me as a child. Like how to get motor oil from a car out of a pair of trousers or cooking grease on things or, you know, a glass of wine on your carpet. Like what do you do to take care of that? So sometimes you can address stains on your hand knits like immediately. Google Heloise. Maybe her stuff is online. I don't know. But there are answers. But if you can't, the world is your oyster because now you can do all sorts of interesting repair things. And then. The bane of our hand-knit existence. Uh, the snags. Yeah. Snags can happen because you live in an old house with nails that pop up from the floor. Snags can happen because you have four dogs, each with a truly unreasonable number of toenails. Who love hugs. They love hugs. Mm-hmm. They love hugs. From dogs. Mm-hmm. But it's snaggy. <laughs> it's so snaggy. <laughs> So those are some problems that we're going to help solve. Okay, so Jessica, can we talk about the difference between visible mending and invisible mending? I would love to talk about that difference because we get lots of questions about it from knitters in the shop and not knitters in the shop. Yes. All right. I think that like growing up as a child in the 80s, The thought of having clothing that had visible repairs to it was sort of horrifying. Where I lived, that's just not something that people did. And like, if my grandmother or my mom or someone patched something, like it was not in a super visible way. Like I can remember getting holes in denim and there were those patches that you could get at the fabric store that kind of like ironed into them that matched the denim. There was an expectation that it was not super evident. But I think that there's like a resurgence of appreciation of handmade clothing and prolonging the life of your garments, whether they're handmade or ready to wear items, you know, so that there's less waste, there's less environmental impact, you know, holding on to these things and making them last. And people have elevated this to like an art form. So you can have kind of invisible mending, but you can also have really elaborate stitch patterns and embroidery and like beautiful stuff happening. If you are knitting something and anticipate that someday you would like to do a repair that's not super visible, I would recommend holding on to some of that yarn, winding it on a bobbin and kind of tucking it away because the chances of you being able to find that yarn again to match in five years. may not be a possibility, right? So as a knitter, that's something that you have the option of doing. Frequently, we have people wander into our shop who are not knitters, who have something that someone knit for them, or they have a ready-to-wear item that needs repair, and they want it to be an invisible mend, and that is just something that we can't help facilitate for them. If you have a cashmere sweater that came from a store somewhere and there is a hole in it, I am 0% of the time 
going to have a single yard of the same color, same weight cashmere yarn that can like invisibly darn that hole. The only time we've ever had success matching yarn, there was somebody who had a a sweater she had bought at like a tourist shop in Iceland. Mm -hmm. And she was like, it's got a hole in it. I'm really bummed out about it. I love this sweater. And it happened to be knit with Lopi and we used to sell Lopi and we actually matched the colorway and I was so excited. And then she was annoyed that I wanted to sell her a whole skein. Right. Right. Because we can't just cut a yard off of a, yeah. Yeah. But like that was a miraculous unicorn, yes. like stars have aligned experience because generally that's not going to happen. Right. And I think the reason I'm bringing it up yeah. is that my emotional roller coaster that I went on mm-hmm. was the highest high. And then the biggest sad trombone noise. Like it was just, I was like, we did it. We finally did it. All these years later, I actually did it. And then she was like, cool, just cut off a piece for me. And I was like, oh no, that's, that's not how this works. Like we have to sell you the whole thing. And then she left without it. And I was like, oh, but we did it. (laughs) (laughs) And also kind of like fascinating because what are the odds that that was going to happen? And like Lopi, for example, is such an affordable yarn. What was it? Five or six dollars for the skein? Like she was concerned about the waste. It wasn't the cost. Like she I think if I had said it'll cost five dollars to repair, she was like, but I don't want to waste the rest of the skein. And I was like, cool. But if I cut the yarn off, it's still wasting the rest of the skein. (laughs) And if she had that skein, if there were other holes in that sweater someday, she would have the materials to do the mend. Yes. Right. I think that was short-sighted of her. (laughs) She missed an opportunity there. Yeah, so mending can happen in ways that is visible or invisible if you plan accordingly, but it's hard to say what will happen or what you will need to do. And I think right now, visible mending is, it's having a moment because there is this drive for sustainability and not wasting and not necessarily, particularly in the maker community, Mm -hmm. not letting fast fashion be disposable fashion. Even if you did buy that shirt at Forever 21 or wherever, you're still going to wear it till you can't wear it anymore because otherwise it just ends up in a landfill. Right. Well, you know, okay, so you were talking about when you were a kid and how mending was invisible. Mm -hmm. My mom used to mend. I had forgotten about this. I'd say this ended. I was an elementary schooler. You know, you're a little kid. You're hard on your pants. Cat and Jack didn't exist yet. So you couldn't get pants with the reinforced knees for little kids. I would get holes in my pants all the time. And she would do adorable like embroidery over the holes. So she would embroider like a little rainbow or a ladybug or whatever. And I think. As an adult looking back on it, I actually don't know if the embroidery floss mending survived my outgrowing of the pants or if my my kid behavior defeated the embroidery floss before I outgrew the pants, but that was always really exciting. Like I would get a hole and then I'd have a little ladybug or a, a son or whatever. Your mom was on trend. Yeah. Decades before it was popular again. Well, and that's that's very much what visible mending feels like. It was neat. And now it's kind of neat to have these garments that like, even if you bought this garment ready to wear, you have added to it and made it yours. Nobody else is ever going to have that exact hole in that exact way mended in that exact same way. I love it. It's so exciting <laughs> like and unique and everyone's technique is different. I think they're beautiful. So that being said, mm-hmm. invisible mending is very difficult. In the same way that like, if you've ever patched a wall. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, you like put up the spackle and then you paint over it. But like in the right light from the right angle, you can still kind of see it. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having spackled a hole in a wall. But is it ever truly invisible? It's never truly invisible. Right. So one of the techniques, which is actually probably the most invisible, but also only applicable in a very specific set of circumstances, is needle felting Mm -hmm. to mend something. And that would only work if what you are mending is made out of something like lopi. So it's it's non-superwash. So something that would be able to felt. And in that case, right, if you have like a single strand of your lopi sweater or your non-superwash farm yarn sweater or whatever that has broken, you can take a felting needle, a short length of the yarn, and needle felt the two ends. And that may not be totally invisible. It'll be a little bit of a, there will be a join, but you could also do it on like the inside of the garment. Like there are lots of ways that you can sort of camouflage that particular repair. I've also seen people use that as like a very intentional visible mend element. Yes. Like you have this fisherman sweater that you thrifted somewhere and it's gorgeous and you love it and it's definitely got a hole in it. And I've seen people take wool, not even yarn, just like actual wool that you would use to needle felt and kind of lay it over that hole and kind of aggressively use their felting needle to cover up that patch. And there's just like a little like burst pop of color. And it's flat felted wool at that point. It doesn't look like knit fabric, but it has secured the stitches and closed up that hole. So now that's not going to spread and the cables aren't going to unravel. It's a little pop. Yeah. And you do want to make sure, especially in a situation like that, where something is broken or there's a hole, that whatever mending you are doing isn't only covering the hole, but it is going to keep the yarn from unraveling more than it already has. Yeah. So it has to kind of extend beyond the actual damage a little bit. You're giving yourself like a safety zone, a little perimeter. Right. What about duplicate stitch? Duplicate stitch is fun. Duplicate stitch is something that you may or may not have encountered in a pattern as like an actual process and a part of construction of a garment or accessory. But what you're doing is you're taking some length of yarn on a darning needle and you're stitching across your fabric, not like you would sew, but you're actually following the construction of your knit stitches, which is a difficult thing, I think, to talk about. But you can find videos online of people doing this process. And if you need to use duplicate stitch as a means to repairing, you are going to, much like that needle felting, need to extend it like beyond the extent of the damage but you're reconstructing knit stitches by hand sewing them into place. That is almost always something that you're going to want to do in mending. I think that's the key between successful mending and sort of like, I tried, but it didn't really hold mending. Mm -hmm. You need to incorporate the still intact fabric around the hole if you want your mend to stay. Yes. To be durable. Mm -hmm. I frequently underestimate that perimeter when I'm repairing denim Uh and will sew a patch on something and like a couple of weeks later think, why is this separating? Oh, because my patch went through kind of threadbare fabric that wasn't ready to hold up the repair for a long period of time. (laughs) So yeah. I patch the sheets on my bed and I actually really enjoy patching the sheets on my bed. And so I cut, Jessica bought like one bed sheet like 20 years ago and I've just been slowly cutting, you know, three by three inch squares out of it because I don't have a fabric stash, but it'll be a little hole. It'll be like a 
three quarters of an inch hole and I will put like a three by three inch patch and then outline all the way around that and outline all the way around the hole and it holds really well. What about, and I understand that there is some inaccuracy to calling this sashiko because sashiko is a, is a specific type of decorative embroidery, but the mending technique uses sashiko equipment. It uses a sashiko needle and often sashiko thread. And so it's often referred to as sashiko mending. What about that? So there are a number of books and online resources to learn about like the actual traditional technique. And I am no expert in this, but I can tell you about the difference between sashiko needles versus a needle from your sewing kit. So if you have a sewing kit at home, like a hand stitching needle is generally short. It's a couple of inches long, like maybe two. It's very pointy. It's got different size eyes of the needle depending on the gauge of the needle, but it's meant for like repairing buttons, like putting a button back on your shirt or like little sewing projects like that. A sashiko needle is long and generally has like a long, narrow eye where you'll put your thread through. And it's really well suited for like long running stitches where you're creating a number of stitches in one pass through the fabric in a way that hand sewing needles cannot do that. Right. So those needles are a little bit flexible as opposed to hand sewing needles that are fairly rigid. If you picture embroidering something where you're like passing the needle from one side to the other, you're really not doing that in this technique. You're going to thread the needle through the fabric and then pull, like Jessica was just saying, like four stitches at a time or whatever number, depending on the size of your needle and the size of your stitches. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite technique. I love how that looks. I often do it with like a highly contrasting color of thread. I really, like I just patched some black pants with bright yellow and then spent the whole day people going, what's that on your pants? And I was like, that's where I patched my pants. <laughs> but, but that's that thing where you see sort of like a grid around the hole. If you've run across this online and maybe not recognized what you were looking at and you've just seen, oh, what is that? And you end up sort of weaving. You run your stitches, I'm going to say vertically first, right? You run across, you run across from a little bit outside of the area that needs to be patched, a couple sets of stitches in the intact fabric, and then you go over the hole in the middle. And then you'll run stitches horizontally. And I've seen that done with an additional contrasting thread. And you sort of treat the, it's almost like a warp and a weft. Mm -hmm. You treat the stitches you've already run as the warp. And then you kind of weave it through and create a woven fabric over the hole. There's a woman named Aruna Kunaraj who has written a book called Visible Mending. And you can find her on Instagram at, I'm not sure if it's Buku or Buku. But her Instagram handle is B-O-O-K-H-O-U. She has wonderful tutorial and also just kind of like soothing if you're one of those people that you like to watch like those like strangely satisfying videos. They're satisfying videos. You can go check that out. She's great. Yeah, her work is super beautiful. And she owns a, a store with her partner. She's Canadian. They're in Canada. Yeah. And she sells mending supplies on, on their website. Like she puts together these great little kits that have tools that you will find useful in all sorts of applications. Can I tell you about one of my favorite mending projects that I ever did? Yes. I have an antler cardigan, which is a tin can knits pattern. And I love this sweater dearly. And I knit it maybe 10-ish, 9-ish years ago. 
and have worn it to death. I've replaced the buttons a number of times. And at some point, my cuffs just kind of died. Um, <laughs> like they they started to wear out at the at the very edge of them. And I knit this sweater with yarn that I no longer have any of. And it was yarn from a company that I no longer support. So I definitely wasn't going to purchase any more of it. And I thought, you know what, why would I try to match this? It's just not going to happen. If you're familiar with the antler cardigan, you know that it's knit from the bottom up. So just kind of unzipping the cuffs of my sleeves wasn't really an option because it was the cast on edge. So I cut them off. Perfect. I just took my embroidery snips and kind of like snipped all around the row right before where my ribbing started for the cuffs and used a different yarn and picked up those stitches and knit down. So I have a beautiful green sweater with pink cuffs and I adore it and think it's great. So kind of cutting out damage and reconstructing your fabric if the damage is significant enough, is definitely another way to deal with repairing your hand knits as well. If you do something like that, be prepared for all the little ends. I would think that you would start cutting and then it would just be sort of a thread to unravel. No, it's a million tiny little stitches. So just be ready. Mm -hmm. It's not scary. It's a little messy. Yeah. If you're dealing with the opposite direction from which it's constructed, it definitely is. So if I were interested in repairing some of my knits, what are some of the supplies that I might want to have on hand? Good question. So I think if you are thinking about like acquiring supplies, like you're just planning to have your toolbox ready, you might want to pick up something like a darning loom. Katrinkles makes one that's really cute and little and it comes with the needle that you need. And she has some great little videos available so you can see how to use it because you might open up the box and look at the pieces of the darning loom and say, I don't know what I'm looking at. But she has great step-by-step -step instructions. And she also has a hashtag on Instagram. It's hashtag darnitkatrinkles, <laughs> which if you're making repairs, use that. But also it's fun to look at to see what other people are doing what they're mending, and what their repairs look like. If you are looking for things at Buku's website, like she has beautiful darning eggs and darning mushrooms, which are wood. Yes. And they're wood pieces that are three-dimensional that you shove inside of your knit garment so you're not working on a floppy piece of fabric. That makes a huge difference. You really do want to have something solid to put behind your project. It's a little bit less of a big deal if it's something like a sheet, but if it's something three-dimensional, like a sock, mm -hmm. a darning egg is really handy for a sock. The mushrooms are great because they have a handle, so it's like something you can hold mm -hmm. that you aren't going to stab with your needle. And both the Katrinkles darning loom and some of the darning mushrooms have a sort of, it's almost like a hair tie. Mm -hmm. that goes around it that will hold your fabric that you're repairing still. <laughs> right. You want to kind of pull it taut over whatever you're using as the base so that those stitches are not shifting around, but it's also easy to like see them all. And yeah, they're not running from you that way. The only thing to be cautious of in that situation, you want to arrange your garment the way it's going to sit once the repair is completed. 
So I'm thinking about the pants I repaired like a week ago. I pulled it taut on my mushroom because I wasn't thinking. The damage was I had just like snagged a nail on it and I'd made a little like inch and a half long just slice through my pants. The way I laid it out, I created space between the two edges of the fabric. And so when I was done repairing it, I actually had kind of a pucker there that I didn't Mm -hmm. like. So I'm probably going to rip that out and do it again. But if it's a hole where like a moth has eaten or something, you want to kind of lay out your fabric so that that hole is kind of the shape and size that it is in real life so that the fabric you're creating will like successfully graft over that hole. Yeah, definitely don't like pull it super tight like you're not stretching a canvas over right. a frame or something. No, no additional tension. Just pull it over, <laughs> lay it there and secure it in place. What if you have damage and you don't have supplies, but you want to just make it work with something you have in your house already? Yes, you can do that. You don't need specialty equipment. People have been darning and repairing for as long as they've been making textiles. And there definitely was no like pre-made kit. I'm guessing in the early times, people used the materials they had on hand. You can use the tapestry needle that you use to sew in your ends. Some darning kits have their own needles that come with them. It's really no different. Like use whatever needle you have on hand. And if you don't have a darning egg or a mushroom or something, you can use things like an orange or a clementine, depending on, (laughs) you know, the size of the thing you need to fix. But like firm objects that exist in your home. (laughs) I was just thinking. If we're going to talk about like raiding the kitchen for things, we should probably mention that a real egg and a darning egg are not functionally equivalent in this situation. But I guess if you've hard boiled it, maybe it is. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, no raw eggs. You don't want to, you know, break it inside your sock. That's gross. <laughs> and, and also if you're using things like an orange to darn something, that's fine. But please don't put it in your project bag afterwards and forget about it. Right. <laughs> Like these are these are hazards you might not think of. It, that's on par with like it's the end of the school year and kids have come home from school with their lunch boxes and nobody checked to see if there was a banana in there. Just take care of your fruit. Leave it in the kitchen yes. or eat it when you're done. <laughs> that's right. It's your reward for finishing. That's right. We didn't really talk about what to do about either snags or stains. We've mostly been talking about holes. Ah. So I want to I want to double back for just a minute because the things that you've mentioned are all handy for those two kinds of damage in particular. Mm-hmm. So if you have stains and Heloise can't help you, <laughs> for example, you don't know what the stain is on your sweater or it's been there so long, it's just kind of set and you can't get rid of it. And it really bothers you that it exists. It's time to do some decorative stitching. <laughs> Like you can patch over something like say this were uh, it's on your denim jacket, like stick a patch on it or a pin like a pre-made one. But if this is on your hand knit sweater, you're going to want to do some stitching over that. And you could use duplicate stitching, especially if you have the yarn that you knit the sweater in. You can kind of camouflage that space. Otherwise, get creative. You can embroider beautiful things. You can do weird geometric shapes. It's whatever your aesthetic is, just cover it up or turn it into something. I don't know. Do you need to put a little smile on that splotch <laughs> on your on your collar? Like do whatever works for you to make it visually appealing enough to continue wearing it. 
Because the last thing you want to do is have this sweater that you loved, that you labored over and made, or someone made for you, maybe even worse, because then you have all of this like emotional baggage of, oh no, I have damaged this gift and I have a real understanding of how much work went into this. I feel terrible. Don't tuck it into the back of your drawer and never look at it again for shame. Repair it and wear it. What about snags? Oh, snags are garbage. I hate them. <laughs> they're, they're kind of, on, in some way, they're the easiest to fix. Sometimes. Sometimes, right. Yeah. So, right. okay, there are two scenarios, I think, for snags. There is the easily fixable snag where you have walked past a door or a tree branch or hugged a pibble, hugged a pibble <laughs> and something has snagged a strand of your yarn and it's given it a little tug and you just kind of have a loop hanging mm. off the front of your fabric. What you can do to fix that in the easiest best case scenario is just kind of like take it off because it'll be easier to do when it's not on your body. Wiggle and muss your fabric like back into shape like that yarn will kind of work its way back to where it needs to be. You could use a crochet hook. Yeah, if you need to like be pulling the strands, you can use a crochet hook or the tip of a knitting needle and just kind of tug and work back across the row to reposition those stitches. Sometimes, and I will say this is for me, I have experienced a snag so great. <laughs> there was so much tension involved. The loop hanging off of my knit was so long that it broke me emotionally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like there's just no working this back because the tension on that row is so distorted and it was zipped so tight that really it was an emotional hurdle that I was not willing to, to go over. It was transformed. Yeah, that's a thing. It can happen. At that point, my solution for that is kind of reaching through the fabric. A crochet hook is super handy here. Or like if you have one of those little cocoa knit fix-it tools that's like a little tiny mini crochet hook of undetermined size. From the inside of your fabric, poke that through to the outside. Hook that thread. Pull it to the inside of your sweater and move on with your life. <laughs> um, you can just pretend it doesn't exist when it's in there. Or if you have the personality type that will struggle with knowing that it is hanging inside of your sweater, you can just like tie it off in a little knot and then clip the ends and pretend that it doesn't exist or weave in those ends into yeah. the back of your fabric. And then it's super secure and you don't have to worry about it. But mostly I use that as a tool at this point in my life to let me know if it's the front or back side of my sweater. Right. <laughs> Think of that as a marker yeah. or you didn't put your sweater on backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I have to say about that. Hey, Jessica, what's on your needles? My summer sorrel, of course. <laughs> I am cruising along. Dip stitches are in my rearview mirror, and I am just knitting my summer sorrel body, which is exciting. And I've been doing that to the neglect of all of my other projects, so I'm not going to talk about them today. What's on your needle, Karen? Oh, man. So my barn heart. I don't know what I did. I'm just <laughs> rolling with it. Uh-huh. I finished the back. I finished the front. I was doing my three-needle bind-off. The first shoulder went great. The second shoulder, I got to the end of my three-needle bind-off, and I still had like eight stitches for one of them. Hmm. For just the back. 
Mm-hmm. And so then I had to pick it back and I just knit two together into my three needle bind off. And I don't really know how I did that or why I did that or what happened. And we're just going to roll with it. Yes. I'm rolling with it. So then I started the sleeves. Cool. That's but, exciting. And I haven't been doing anything else because that has really been consuming me was this situation that I've created for myself. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. That's okay. You had a creative solution to it. Yeah. When in doubt, decrease. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I might have kind of a lumpy back of my shoulder, but at least it's the back and not the front. And there's kind of like garter texture action happening there, right? Yes. So it's not like it's plain stockinette where it right. will be visually apparent. Like I think this will be kind of camouflaged. Yeah. And I'm I'm optimistic about it not really being a problem. I support you. <laughs> Speaking of your sorrel, can we do a quick knit-along check-in? Yeah, absolutely. So we forgot to say something last week. We have a name for the sorrel event that will happen at the end of the knit-along thanks to our make good listener, now craft night attendee friend, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. You're a genius. We're calling it the Sorrel Soiree. Yes. So details still a little bit TBD, but it'll be a little bit like the March of the Penguinos. But I just, Sorrel Soiree makes me feel joy in my soul, and I'm super excited about it. We're all going to be fancy AF wearing our sorrels of all different (laughs) types, and you're going to love it. Are you ready? Me? For a letter. Mm Mm-hmm. I am. Let's do it. This letter comes to us from Kay. Hi, Kay. I made a purchase online that included a couple different skeins and a sock set with one full skein and two coordinating minis. Two of the colors look incredibly different in person than they do online. This is not something I would ever have purchased if the color had been accurately depicted. I've been struggling to figure out what to make with it and at a point where I'm considering donating it. I know that colors won't always be captured or shown accurately depending on the device you're using, but these two colors are significantly different from the photos online. I even shared photos with my non-knitting friends and they all agreed that they're very different. Do I ask for a refund or an exchange? Do I just keep the yarn and order from another LYS? She's a one-woman shop and works so incredibly hard. Every now and then she posts on social media about her stress levels and how difficult it can be to run an LYS. I don't want to hurt her feelings or add to her stress. At the same time, I've bought this yarn and I'm pretty disappointed. Uh, that's a tough situation to be in. And I think that we should talk about this from kind of both ends, right? right? From the, I am the knitter who has ordered this yarn, and also I am the shop owner person. But let's start with addressing your immediate concerns, Kay. So I appreciate that you acknowledge that sometimes, like based on the device that you're on, like you know that it's not always like 100% accuracy in color. Like I even find myself looking at things online sometimes and I'm like, really, is that what that looks like? And then I realize that my screen is on like night mode (laughs) dimmer and I'm like, oh, oh, that's not orange. That's pink. I just have my screen on like a really weird color. Like, who knows? There are all sorts of different variables that go into what you're seeing when you're looking at a device. That said, there is an expectation that when you order online, the product that you receive 
should be recognizable as the thing that you ordered. And sometimes it's a matter of not super accurate photography. Sometimes the issue is the person who put up the product on the website took a picture of the inventory they had in December, and the inventory that they got in March looks different, and nobody ever changed those photos to accurately reflect what they have in their actual store. An example of how that happens, we are constantly doing photo turnover, is for our spin cycle inventory. Because every time that spin cycle mills, their yarn is different. And that's to be expected with a marling technique. There's a lot of variation in dye lots. And like we try to accurately reflect that. We don't use a photo from three years ago because who knows how the color may or may not have shifted. Right. But that's not the only yarn where colors shift. It happens with hand dyers all the time. And it happens with dyed-in-the-wool milled runs too. That's why dye lots numbered dye lots on ball bands exist. So if you saw a picture of yarn online and it does not look like the yarn that you received, for whatever reason, there was that visual difference between the physical yarn and the picture online. As the person who purchased the yarn, you should be able to reach out to that shop owner and say, hey, I received my order and it's just not what I expected. Now, I can't speak for the shop. I don't know what their return policy is or their exchange policy. But if you call or send an email and you're like, hi, so-and-so, I received my order number this, and you explain the situation, thanks for your help, signed K, you should get back some sort of response that will address your concern, right? And you shouldn't be apprehensive about saying, is it possible to exchange this? Is it possible to return it? Like, that's a fair question. Absolutely, it is. From the shop's perspective on the interaction you're going to have, so you made a purchase expecting one thing, what you received was not what you expected, you're absolutely within your rights to let the person who sold that thing to you know that if you'd been able to see this thing, you wouldn't have purchased it. So you want to return it or exchange it or whatever. You said that part of what's keeping you from reaching out is that you know that she's like hardworking on her own, like she's posting about how things are stressful. That's really thoughtful and really considerate of you, but that doesn't mean you're not entitled to the thing you purchased. And it doesn't really matter how much you spent, right? If it's a $10 order, if it's a $200 order, it doesn't matter. You paid for something and you got something different. Now, that being said, I think it is really helpful and thoughtful and considerate to remember that these small business owners aren't Amazon. So the person that is going to read your email is very likely the person that packed that order. You know, we sometimes get messages that are like, they sent me the wrong thing. (laughs) And I'm like, they is me. And yes, I bet I did, right? Like, (laughs) sorry, we will fix it. Yeah. But, you know, maybe don't like make the subject line of that email. I am horribly disappointed in you and think you're a bad person. I don't think you would do that anyway, but like that's the level of consideration that you should give to the shop owner's stress level, not not addressing the problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. If we are having an interaction, you would be polite and considerate like you would want to be treated, but also like you have to have your end of the transaction fulfilled. I also want to just speak for a moment to shop owners. (laughs) I think that the fiber community is a unique place. Yes, it is. (laughs) Sure is. (laughs) With the social media that we all use, I'm thinking specifically of Instagram, 
it's very easy for people to feel super connected yes. to others that they've never met, right? Like, I feel like I know you, mm-hmm. whether or not you actually do. And when you are a shop owner, I think that there is definite value in being honest with your community and straightforward and talking about things. But I think that like from a shop owner perspective, it's also valuable to think about how people are receiving that information. Because for example, Kay is a customer who wants to be shopping with you and supporting you. But if she feels like there's a problem with her order and she can't reach out to you because she's worried about stressing you out and making you feel bad, if her alternative is to shop somewhere else in lieu of making you upset, like that's disappointing for her and it's going to be disappointing for you. So I think that it's kind of like two issues here. There's the, oh no, my yarn doesn't look like how I wanted it to look, but also what is the emotional dynamic? So, okay. I think that you should send the email or make the phone call, however the shop prefers to be contacted and just have a conversation and see what happens. And if the answer you get is no, you can't, exchange this or no, I won't take a return, then that informs your future shopping decisions and perhaps you can de-stash this yarn or gift it or donate it or just tuck it away into your stash for when at some point in the future it's the right fit for gift knitting or some sort of project that you're not currently visualizing or anticipating. Yarn doesn't go bad as long as you keep it safe from the moths. All right. I hope that was helpful, Kay. So before we sign off, I have a really quick housekeeping note because we got some listener feedback and I want to make sure that everybody knows that this is here, that this is a thing. So we mentioned the show notes pretty frequently, Mm -hmm. but it's not YouTube. We're not on YouTube. So it's not like it's just right under the screen. So here's how you actually get to the show notes. So if you're listening to this on like any kind of app, like whether it's the, I don't know, Apple podcast app or Overcast or whatever, often if you swipe left, there will be a screen with all of the show notes. If you are listening to this in your browser, I think they're underneath. Like if you're listening to this, like from the link, and we just had some feedback that from somebody who was like, wow, those links are really super helpful. And you mention them all the time. And I only just found them. And so they're there. Go look for them. All right. I think that's it for this week. I hope that you take your hand knits that need some love and do some repairs, do some visible mending, take pictures of it and tag us because we want to see it. Yes. You can tag us in your photos on Instagram. We are at makegoodpod. You should follow us and join the Sorrel Knit Along if you haven't yet. Sorrel Soiree. Sorrel Soiree. Woo. Yep. And listen to us, rate and review our podcast. It will help other knitters find us. Tell your friends. And send us emails. We want to hear from you. We want your questions and your letters. You can reach us at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. Oh, we forgot to tell them our big exciting news. What's our big exciting news? About Indie Spotlight. Oh, yeah. I hope you're still listening because we are sponsoring Indie Spotlight, which is in May. So we'll talk about it again. But if you go to the Scratch Supply Co. website, there's an image on the front page and you can click through and learn more about Indie Spotlight. And hopefully you will join us at the event because it's going to be awesome. We're doing an event. 
We love events. We're going to be doing a live Dear Scratch over Zoom. So you can talk to us. And hear what we sound like when we can't be edited. So if you listen that far, you're the first to hear this news. It's pretty exciting. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.